The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Support for this show comes from the Beyond Suffering Bible. A Bible for people who want to understand what it looks like to think and live like a Christian in the midst of hardship. It is ideal for caregivers, ministers, or the person who is suffering. Begin your journey from endless struggles to God's infinite hope at beyondsufferingbible.com. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today is Dr. Anna Yusim board-certified psychiatrist with private practice in New York City. After completing programs at Stanford University, Yale Medical School, and NYU Psychiatric Residency Training Program, Anna went on to study Kabbalah, learn Buddhist meditation, and train under South American shamans and Indian gurus. A review of her book, Fulfilled, appears in the July-August issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Anna, you seem welcome to Essential Conversations. Thank you so much, Rabbi Rami. I am looking forward to this. I read the book, and actually just a little while ago, I was going through it a second time, so we could go a little deep, in, you know, take, take a deep dive into this book. But before we do that, because I know that many people who are listening to this may not have read it at all, can you give us a brief overview of what you're exploring in the book, Fulfilled? Absolutely. So, um, Having come from a very traditional medical training, having, like you said, gone to Stanford, Yale, NYU, doing everything that the medical training would entail, I found myself at a loss when I came upon my own dark night of the soul and really was having trouble reconciling what I was feeling using the traditional tools. I couldn't get myself out of my own darkness. And that's when I went on my spiritual journey to try to learn about other healing modalities and other healing tools. And that's what this book presents. So it's divided into three parts. The first part focuses on authenticity or who you are at the core and what it means to connect to your soul. The second part is on soul corrections or those lessons or obstacles our souls have come into this world to correct. And I focus on four in particular, improving relationships, releasing addictions, transforming fear, and harnessing personal power. And then the third part of the book is part of something greater. So that's how we as human beings can connect to something greater than ourselves to give us more purpose, meaning guidance and a sense of interconnectedness and more synchronicity 
in our lives to manifest the lives we want. Okay, so I, I have a question right off the bat, which, which is really not about the book per se, but just about what you just said. So I'm a big fan of Alan Watts, and Alan Watts has a book, I think it's called Psychology East and West. And it seems to me that you are sort of embodying this notion that Western psychology or the, or the, the material, scientific material you studied wasn't sufficient. And you turned, not specifically, not exclusively to the East, because you did do some work with shamans in South America, but still you went from the scientific to the contemplative, or however you, you would define that. What's missing in, in Western psychiatric science that it can't do those things for you? Yeah, and, and the thing is that there's nothing really that is missing per se. It was really what I needed. And the thing is, the thing about my book is that healing for every person takes on a different flavor. And what everybody needs to heal is unique. So having trained in the Western medical model, I had psychological tools under my belt. I could have considered medication. I could have considered cognitive behavioral therapy, interpersonal therapy. And learning all those tools and engaging with them was very powerful. But there was something in me that somehow still felt inauthentic, disconnected from my own soul, and a little bit just lost. And it was only when I started really reconnecting to my soul, because, you know, when you really think about it, maybe the answer to your question, what's missing in Western medical psychology is there's really no notion of soul. That's not a term we ever learn in medical school. It wasn't part of any of my training. And it's something that is so central to what has helped me to heal and what is paramount in my work with patients and in writing this book. So that's interesting. I mean, you can think of Carl Jung and, and he certainly had a, a deep interest in you know, at least what he called soul, but it doesn't make it into the Western training canon, I guess, of, of people pursuing PhDs in that, in that science. How do you understand the word soul. Right. So this was one of my questions in going on my, I guess, spiritual pilgrimage to all the different countries and with working with many different kinds of healers. And my favorite definition of soul was given to me by a shaman with whom I worked in Mexico, Fernando Broca. He described the soul as having two parts or what he called the soul and the spirit. One part is that which unifies us with all other human beings. And this is the part that people refer to when they say we're all one unified soul. The other part is that which is unique to every human being and that which really encapsulates your soul's unique potential in this world. And so the two parts of soul are that which unites you with all others and that which is uniquely you. Oh, that's interesting because I would have thought, I'm just thinking of the, the, one of the Jewish ways of understanding the human psyche, and I won't get into the weeds with this, but it's uh, there's five dimensions. The fourth is soul, the fifth is spirit. The third is more the egoic. That's where your uniqueness comes in. Soul, exactly what Fernando said. It's where you unify with other, not just other humans, but all, all beings. And then spirit is when you as a separate, unique self actually melts into the greater non-duality. So it's, it's, slightly, it's slightly different. So, okay, so, so I'm, I'm intrigued by this. Now, 
especially because in the book, you write, I'm just going to quote your book to you, but you write, all of us face critical decision points where we can choose to be authentic or not, to act with courage or with fear, to align with our true selves or with who we think we have to be. So I, I understand, I think, exactly what you're saying, these critical decision points. My question is, who's making the decision? Especially if you've got these different levels of soul. I wonder if that helps you explain it. But if you're standing at these critical decision points and I can choose between being my authentic self or an inauthentic self, who is it that's, that's looking at the authentic and the inauthentic and then choosing? Right. And that is such a beautiful question because that really points to who are we as human beings and what are all the faculties that we use in understanding the world, in making our choices, especially those choices that truly impact the most important parts of our lives. So you are faced with a decision to marry this man or not. Do you marry him? So first of all, you can try to be rational about it. You can make your checklist. Why should you? Why shouldn't you? And then you weigh them. But that's probably not going to get you very far when it comes to questions of marriage. Those are questions of the heart. So then you can turn to your heart and you can say, how do you feel about this person? Do you love him? Do you feel connected to him? Do you feel happy when you're around him? Do you feel in any way scared or put down? Or And so those are also very important questions to ask. But matters of the mind, the, ration, the rational part, and of the heart are only two faculties. There's something deeper than that, which is the soul, which is in a way the encapsulation of all of that. When you make decisions with your soul, those are intuitive decisions. And they're decisions that encompass the deepest part of you, which can only actually be tapped into when the yelling and screaming of our thoughts and our emotions temporarily ceases. It's that still quiet voice within, and it takes patience and discipline and time often to cultivate that. Ah, okay. So the chooser, and now I think that that word is the wrong word, but let me just stick it, stick with it for a second. So the chooser is the soul. And if I can quiet, um, this is a question I'm asking you for, for clarification if necessary, but if I can quiet the noise of my mind, which is all the, the chatter of I don't know if I want to say the inauthentic me, but the less authentic me, if I can chant, if I can silence all of that, then the, the soul knows instinctively, intuitively, what's the, what, the best way to go? What's the right choice? Is that fair? Indeed. And a lot of Indian gurus actually say that perfect intuition enables you to make perfect choices. So being able to cultivate that, however, to be in touch with that is not an easy thing. We are very attached to our minds. We are very attached to our emotions in Western culture. So this is why practices such as mindfulness and meditation can take us deeper into ourselves and actually enable us to connect with ourselves. So do you suggest to, I mean, you know, people are listening, they're going, okay, now, now I get, I think they'll listen, they're listening and saying to themselves as I am, okay, I get this. Now I've got to stop the chatter. So is mindfulness meditation one of the, the, the paths that you, you would recommend? Absolutely. And there's a number of meditative practices. One of them is actually starting to look at your thoughts and change your relationship with your thoughts. So it's you just sit quietly and let one thought after another come into your mind. And when it comes to your mind, you label it such as, 
I'm having another thought that I am hungry, or I'm having a thought about what I'm going to be doing later tonight. And then you take that thought, imagine it as a certain color. Take that color out of your mind and then imagine a passing cloud. You put that on a cloud and watch it float away. And then you once again bring your attention to your next thought or your mind. You also at that time can bring your attention to your breathing or to your body to facilitate a state of, in a way, an empty mind so that then you could create the vacuum which will eventually draw in more thoughts. Thoughts, obviously, they're not the enemy here at all, you know, but it's often important to get deeper than the thoughts to really get at who you really are and what you really want to access your intuition. So, I mean, I'm assuming you've done this. Can yeah. you can you articulate what, because if thoughts, if thoughts are not what we're talking about, so what happens when you've quieted your mind to the point where you're not operating, operating on the level of thought? What, what are you experiencing at that level? If you can, if there's a way to articulate it. Yeah, absolutely. That is because a number of things can happen at that point and it's different for everybody. But at that point, when um, you don't have the attachment to your thoughts that you usually do, and the thoughts are able to pass through you, other parts of the human experience can start to flow in that aren't often there. And those could be visions. They can be sensations. It could be states of knowing that you really can't explain and that don't really fit into many categories, but you suddenly know the answer to an important question. It's in states like this, which often could also be dream states, where a lot of artists can get creative inspiration, where mathematicians can solve problems. What this connects you to is the deepest part of yourself, which also a lot of people say is the infinite field, the way in which we're all interconnected in our minds. So would you call that, the, would, or would Fernando call that the soul level or the spirit level? That would be the part that connects us to each other is the soul level and us blending in, like you said, all of our individual spirits blending in would be um, ultimately contributing to that one unified soul. Okay, that's, that's fascinating. So when you heard this, so I mean, hearing it is one thing, but obviously practicing it is something else. You, you learned this not at Stanford. You learned this from, I, I imagine, I mean, it sounds very Indian to me. So you, you must have heard this kind of thing from the Indian gurus with whom you studied. Is that a fair assessment? Um, yes and no. And actually throughout, even when I was at Stanford, I went to a forgiveness training workshop. That was the first time I was ever introduced to this kind of thinking. And the whole idea of forgiveness is really the idea of non-attachment, which I guess is a very Buddhist notion. But it really is about releasing from within us the things that we are attached to, which could be difficult feelings or grudges or emotions we've been storing or resentments and learning how to release those to open our hearts to something greater, which is often love. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24 through 26. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive.
Okay. So so it isn't alien really to Western science. It's just maybe, well, in, in this case, you found a workshop that was dealing with the same thing. Uh, and and you, you find something, you found something similar, similar in Buddhist meditation. So, so maybe the alienation really isn't as strong or as bifurcated as I am. I intended it to be when I asked you the question earlier. So, so how I want to let me just ask you this then: If you go deep enough into the soul level, spirit level, does the distinction between east and west matter at all? It's so interesting. The way I'll answer that question is I'll contrast for you the difference between Kabbalah, which is um, like esoteric Jewish mysticism, and Buddhism. And I'll do that with the idea of desire, um, which is a very important principle to both. In Kabbalah, everything begins with desire. Before you can manifest anything in your life, you have to have a desire. And the bigger your desire, the better. Of course, you want to have desires for more connection to the light, more spirituality in your life, um, more joy, more peace. But it all begins with that desire. Whereas in Buddhism, it's really about the attach, like releasing desire and non-desire. So it's actually antithetical in many ways to, you know, Kabbalah. And both are incredibly powerful, deep traditions that help people elevate their souls. But they do it in two very, very different and, you know, often opposing ways. So is the result different or is it the same? I mean, in one, you're enhancing desire and one, you're releasing desire. So does it matter? Is it, is it simply what works for you, but they both take you to the same place in your, in your experience? In, in my experience, yes, I think they ultimately do. And I think these are different ways that people can most deeply connect to themselves, to their souls and to each other. There's many different paths, but ultimately it gets us all to the same place. And that place really is the place at which, you know, the highest, they say, vibrational frequencies exist. And those are frequencies of love and hope and perseverance and trust and joy and peace. And obviously, you know, it would be wonderful if we could exist at those frequencies every day, all the time. But life is such that trials and tribulations happen, pain happens, suffering happens. And so we have to fight through that. And use all the various tools, be it Kabbalah or the Buddhist tools, in order to help elevate our spirit and overcome the difficulties to feel those things. Mm. Okay, I, w- I want to ask you, we're, we're coming up on the end of the, the show. We have a couple of minutes left. And I want to ask you to explore this powerful question that you ask in the book. Every once in a while either through reading or talking with people, somebody asks a question that is really, oh, I don't want to overstate it, but sort of like the ultimate koan or something, some some question that just cuts to the quick of where people are living. And you have one in your book, maybe more, but there's one that stuck out for me. So in the book, you pose a question to the reader. And now we're going to, I'm going to pose it to you. And, and, but also I'd like to have the audience ask themselves this question and see where, where it takes them. But I want to know where it takes you. So you have this question and you wrote, here's the question. What would you be doing? What would you be doing if nothing stood in your way? That is one hell of a question. What would you be doing if nothing stood in your way? How, 
How do you answer that? And then what answers have you heard from other people? See, that's such a beautiful question. And it reminds me of a patient that I saw as a psychiatric resident at NYU. It was a woman who was missing a part of her amygdala. The amygdala is the part of the brain that's the emotional center. And for this woman who was missing this part of her brain, she had no fear. This woman was living without fear. And I asked her that question. We all say we want to live without fear. What's it like to actually live without fear? And it was actually amazing to me to hear all the way in which not having fear actually can incapacitate this poor woman because our fears, as she put it, are what makes make us act proper in society, etc. So that was my free association to your question. As for what I would do, if nothing stood in my way, I feel like I would fly. I would ultimately just fly, you know, and just to feel ultimate freedom, ultimate love, ultimate connection to everybody and everything, and to be able to exist in that state as much as I possibly could. Now, what do I actually do, <laughs> given that I have a husband and, you know, a mortgage and a lot of patients, is that I try to have my, you know, metaphorical equivalent of flying or feeling free as much as I can. And that is when I connect with the people that I love and travel, which makes me feel very free and write and do artistic things. And so if maybe nothing stood in my way, I probably would fly much more often. But then again, maybe that would get old because really what makes things so valuable and beautiful is how short-lived they could be. And so, yeah. Okay, so, so let's just make a note that when uh, the podcast is broadcast. Let's not let your husband hear the part when you said, well, he's in my way. Oh, not at all. <laughs> not, no, no. I'm, I'm teasing you, but that did come up. What's in my way? I've got a mortgage and no, clients kind of, and a husband. No, but it's kind of um, the reality of what would you do if nothing stood in your way versus what choices have you made to create the life that you want here? So you really do. You're defined by your commitment. Mm. So I, I've been reading Joseph Campbell lately, and you know he's got his phrase, follow your bliss. And I think that's what I connected with when I read your question, what would you do? What would you be doing if nothing stood in your way? I thought that was another way of posing the challenge to follow your bliss. And my question to you, and we're going to have to bring this to a close with this, I guess, but how, how do people know Given the fact that there's always something that's standing in our way, that we're always, you know, blocked by our thoughts and, and all the things that, you, you know, you're talking about quieting so we can go beneath them. But given the fact that our everyday lives are colored by these things, I wonder if people can really answer the question at all. Or is it more a case of posing the question as a koan, living with the question until the question answers itself when you have those moments of quiet mind? Yeah, absolutely. And to also realize that the answers to those questions may be dynamic in nature. And your answer now may be different from a year from now versus five years from now. And the question of what would you do if nothing stood in your way is really, when you think about it, a hypothetical question. Because on one hand, nothing really does stand in your way. You own your life. You do what you need to do. On the other hand, you also think about the commitments that you have to other people, which you've chosen. And you can see that as more defining your life and being other things to take into account in the decisions that you make and the choices that guide your life. 
So it's a complicated and multifaceted question in many ways. Well, I think it's important that people hear that last notion that this is a, the answer is dynamic. In other words, the more you, every time you ask the question, it can, your, your response can be, can be different because your life is constantly changing. So it's not, it's not a, a once and for all thing. Uh, so last, last thing you want to offer the, the listener. Yeah. So the main idea of writing this book was to help people recognize fulfillment is possible and to give them the tools through this book on how to get there. All right. So hopefully they'll check the book out because uh, I think it's a quest that everyone is intrigued by if, if not uh, feeling self-empowered to pursue. Our guest today was Dr. Anna Yusim. You can learn more about her work at AnnaYusim.com. And a review of her book, Fulfilled, appears in the July-August issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Anna, thank you very much for being on the show with us. Thank you so much, Rabbi Rami. Support for Essential Conversations comes from the Beyond Suffering Bible, a Bible for people who want to understand what it looks like to think and live like a Christian in the midst of hardship. It's ideal for caregivers, ministers, or anyone who's suffering. Begin your journey from endless struggles to God's infinite hope at beyondsufferingbible.com. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Please log into spiritualityhealth.com to subscribe to the magazine in print or digital formats and download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker and our program coordinator and executive producer is Al Matassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation, and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.